Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics and Right on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We have a great program for you today. In what is an explosive video, Greg Palace exposes a GOP operative intent on removing voters from the Georgia rolls. Neil Aquino points out that given the severity of Republican attacks on our democracy, it warrants that Democrats are more activated. Jason Miller, Director of Campaigns and Development of the Franciscan Action Network, discusses those of faith on the left actively promoting their values loudly. Activist Brittany Packnett Cunningham scolds those who blame violence on the defund the police movement with an inconvenient truth that I picked up from MSNBC. Before we get started, however, please remember to keep your community radio station KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell our friends about it. Tell your friends about it. Tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen to kpft.org. Likewise, keep our 100,000-watt station that covers the entire Southeast Texas on air by donating what you can afford to our website, kpft.org. Lastly, remember, you can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Politics Done Right or on YouTube live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today we have a very important program and I tell you something, when you write stories, when you tell stories, people hear you, when you, uh, they read it. But sometimes you have to see things in real time to understand the evil within certain political processes. Today, we are honored to have El Señor once again, Greg Palace from gregpalace.com, Greg Palace Investigative Journalism. Greg, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, pretty good, Egberto. It's uh, getting well, through the regime. Let me tell you something, okay? You, you, you have a reputation. You have a reputation of going where places that others don't go. And sometimes that gets you into trouble that people shouldn't really consider trouble because it is <laughs> what I call, as our friend in Georgia calls, the necessary trouble. Was that what Mr. Lewis said? The, the yes. Congressman Lewis says? Good, good trouble. Yes. Good trouble. Well, you know, for those who've been following Greg Pallast and, and this I did for the uh, for uh, Brian Ross Investigates and Tom Hartman uh, report is that, you know, for years I was working for BBC television and The Guardian. And at BBC, we didn't do what they do in America. In America, if bad guys won't give you an interview, say, oh, they gave us no comment. We don't allow no comment. We go hunt them down and find them. And sometimes it's dangerous. In fact, in the film you're going to see with me, um, you, what you won't see in the short film, we're going to have more coming out later, is that before the interview began, 
Uh, this woman was showing me all her stacked ammo. She had a loaded shotgun next to her door. This is a Georgia GOP official. She, by the way, it won't be mentioned in the film, but she is running for vice chair of the Georgia Republican Party, will probably win. She is the candidate of Marjorie Taylor Green. you know, the, the uh, fruitcake with the Jewish space lasers. Um, and, but this is an important GOP official, not minor stuff. And you're going to see what the lengths that they will go to to eliminate voters of color from the voter rolls. I've been hunting this story down for 20 years. Greg, let's pause. Um, I want I want our audience to see the video. First of all, check this out. We're about to meet with a GOP official who says that she has personal knowledge that 32,000 people are voting illegally in this county. So my name is Pamela Reardon. I am currently 6th District Committee Woman to the State Party. I know for sure voters do not live here. This year, Georgia's GOP-controlled legislature passed a new law saying you can challenge an unlimited number of voters. Do you know this woman? That, do, you, do you recognize that woman? Um, not offhand. I don't. Okay. You never spoke to her? No, no. What, what about this guy and his wife on his honeymoon? Do you recognize that man? Mm, no. So you didn't call him, but you challenged his right to vote or have his ballot challenged. Sir, get out of my house. Okay, I will get, get out, out of your house. house. The challenge statute doesn't didn't ever contemplate someone coming to town and challenging hundreds of thousands of voters at one time. Um, this, in our view, was an abuse of that statute. That doesn't mean that you get to print out reams and reams of Excel spreadsheets and just, you know, levy a charge against thousands of people that you don't even know and get them, you know, removed off the rolls. Imagine using the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. You know, it, all, it gets real when you get arrested. Is real, real. You heard of the Ku Klux Klan law of 1871? I'm from Canada. So you don't know the Ku Klux Klan law? I'm from Canada. You clearly don't know Georgia law. I, He's a legal voter. I got voter. my right to vote in 94. Okay, so, so I don't like people voting illegally. Get out of my house now. I shall get out of your house Before now. Before I throw you. And, and you are sure that this is your legal voting address? You are an asshole. Georgia, divided down the middle. And this civil war ain't over. This is Greg Palace in Georgia reporting. Right? Uh, Greg, how did you actually get into this woman's house? I mean, it seems like that was a hell of a feat. Well, uh, it's very simple. We, you know, we set all set all kinds of uh, systems of getting and often jumping people. By the way, we always try to go through the front door. That is, we always ask people for interviews. I don't just, you know, you'll see me jumping out of bushes, out of cars. I mean, I do everything but jump out of an airplane. Uh, you know, I'll travel to Africa to hunt down bad guys, and I do. But um, the in this case, we uh, asked simply asked for an interview. Uh, from our team, uh, I didn't. They didn't mention that Greg Palace would be the reporter, but that's not the the issue. They said there would be a reporter coming to talk to you because she is running for office for vice chair of the Republican Party. So we got in, but once we start, and she was really happy. You know, she here she is on national TV. She's gonna you know show her stuff, and then I start asking her those uncomfortable questions. As you see, I showed her the photo of a woman, Tamara Horn, who whose vote she challenged. When I showed her the photo, she said, I've never seen this woman. I don't know who she is. You know, like, like I'm going to accuse her or something. Yeah, I was. You try to block. You, in fact, 
You're blocking this woman from voting. Her challenge will prevent this woman from voting. Now, Tamara Horn, just so you know, Egberto, uh, told us that she had um, lost her job and therefore had to sell her home and move down the street to move in with her relatives. She's still a legal voter in Cobb County. That's a suburb of Atlanta. Uh, but she won't have her vote counted unless she gets a notice and goes through a whole hearing that she is who she is. And understand this woman has personally, as you saw in the red dress, personally challenged 32,000 voters. 32,000. On what basis? I mean, this, this is what behooved me after I saw the video. Uh, on what basis... Is she challenging as is she's challenging them as a Georgia citizen? Is that correct? Yeah. So here's the gimmick. Um, Georgia's always had this Jim Crow law that says you can challenge anyone. That was used by that any voter can challenge another voter. That was used by you know Farmer Joe to say don't let you know black Farmer Joe vote, uh, and that would stop their vote. But now instead of using white sheets and Klan tactics, they use spreadsheets. This woman got a spreadsheet from a group in Texas called True the Vote. And she that said, oh, these people don't live in the county where they're registered to vote, where they're voting. They're mailing in ballots from China or wherever. There's no basis for this. And she didn't check at all, did zero checking, didn't send a note, didn't make a phone call. We did. Just so you know, the Palace Investigative Fund, my team, thank you, Terry Mann, Pearl called 800 people, 800. And they're all saying, well, I live here. I've been living here. Maybe they've moved down, you know, in the neighborhood. That doesn't change your vote in Georgia or almost anywhere else. But they'll have their vote challenged. And the truth is, is that when you're picking out people this way, especially people who got were shoveled around uh, due to COVID, uh, you're going to pick up a lot of low income people, a lot of students who move dorm rooms, for example. Um, and you're going to pick up a lot of uh, voters of color and the color's blue, of course. So 32,000. And, and but she got this list from this group, True the Vote in Texas. Very dangerous. We've been tracking them for uh, about five years. Uh, Zach D. Roberts um, uh, is our specialist in tracking the right wing groups. And True the Vote, by the way, and here's where it's dangerous. They're not just nobodies out of Texas. But they are they are backed by the Bradley family of Milwaukee. Those are the new Cokes. This is this family has put $2 billion, Egberto, into right-wing groups and causes, and particularly aiming at figuring out ways to remove Black people from the voter rolls. That's just as blunt as it gets. That's what they're doing with their money. And I'm afraid that what you just saw in Cobb County and in Georgia that I've just exposed, what if this takes off, if they get away with this, they're going to take it to Texas, to Wisconsin, North Carolina, Florida, and several other states that have these so-called citizen challenges, which again used to be, they're always ugly, you know, don't let that guy vote. But when you're sending in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, remember the Republican Party's operatives, mostly Republican operatives, all working for True the Vote, are challenging 364,000 voters, a third of a million voters in Georgia, a third of a million and I got to tell you, the ACLU, NAACP, they were just stunned that this was going on. And um, so I'm very, very concerned. Their, their basis, they did no checking. They simply took a list 
from this group True the Vote. It is dangerous stuff. And remember, this is not the government removing people. But one thing that was not in the film is that the secretary, the, the Republican secretary of state of Georgia actually encouraged this group, True the Vote, and these GOP operatives to mount these challenges. And you know what he said? You, this, this should make you sick if you're an American. He said the federal law prohibits me from removing voters, but these people can. So it's a way to work. What he thinks is a way to work around around the, the, federal, the federal law, law. that says you right. can't pull this stunt. Right. Well, look, let, let, let me go a little bit further here. Um, this is deep. And by the way, you said uh, you think something like this can spread. There's no doubt it's spreading. Let me give an example in Arizona right now where they're doing the, that count, that recount in, in Maricopa County. Uh-huh. These guys have 800 people that are knocking on doors. They, I, well, I don't know if it's 800. They knocked on 3000 voter doors to verify whether they really voted. That is actually voter intimidation, according to federal law. They're executing it, and we don't have our new secret, uh, our new secret. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Attorney General, um, what's his name? You know who? Merrick Garland. Garland. Well, we don't see him being aggressive and telling these folks simply, "You cannot do this." People need to be thrown in jail so that they are made examples of before this stuff metastasizes. That is a thing of civil wars, because again. If too many people think it is okay before it is nipped in the butt, it's too many to stop then. So, I mean, I'm glad that you did this report that you did. Now, right. one would think. By the way, I should say that Merrick Garland just issued a statement saying that he's going to begin prosecuting those who violate voting laws. And I got to tell you that, as you heard from um, Gerald Griggs, uh, who represents the NAACP, he's also been, by the way, the lawyer for the Palace Investigative Fund. And he said, look, he, when we showed him what they were doing, he said this violates the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. After the Civil War, the American Congress passed a law that said that the night riders and those who intimidate voters right. go to jail. Exactly. This is simply a, a, a digitized version of the night riders. Like I say, instead of white sheets, it's spreadsheets. Exactly. But it's still the same crime. Uh, Attorney General Garland, please take note. Pull out your handcuffs, read them their rights, and put an end to it. Exactly. That is what needs to be done. That's what needs to be done. Now, now um, last question here. Uh, well, second to last question. You know what my last question always is. But anyhow, uh, second to last question here. Um, this is something that I would have expect the mainstream media, all of them, just take that simple video that you have here, and I know you have more to it later yeah. on, uh, and take that. And let America see the kinds of things that are happening. Why is it that we don't see that? Tell me, tell me your story. We, we never do. Look, back in 2000, when I, 20 years ago, I broke the first major story of how the vote was stolen in Florida by, Je, by Jeb Bush for his brother to get George Bush elected over Al Gore by 500 votes. But I discovered that they removed 58,000 black men from the voter rolls, saying that they were felons. Not a single one was guilty of anything but voting while black. Now, that was a huge story. It got in the New York Times, but only in the column of a black columnist, Bob Herbert. The Times didn't cover it. No one would cover it. I got it in Salon. I got it in Rolling Stone. Uh, you know, those places. And it was put out 
all over the world by BBC television that I did the report for them and the front page of the Guardian newspapers where I was an investigative reporter. I was actually living in London. So the rest of the world gets this news. We don't. Four years later, the New York Times talked about the infamous felon purge in Florida. Well, they didn't. What do you, how could it be infamous? You'd never reported it in the first place. So after a while, it becomes truth. My reports do get in the mainstream press. Just give it two, three, four years. But it will be out in the BBC and elsewhere. It, it, it is sad because I think there is some sort of a collusion between the plutocracy here and the system. There is a particular modus operandi in the way things work out here. In other words, we don't rock the boat too much on the left. We don't rock the boat too much on the right. We try not to make it, uh, you know, um, we, many people don't like the kind of journalism that actually finds truth. In other words, a criminal is not going to tell you they're a criminal or you, you're not going to interview a criminal and they say, yes, I did wrong. You're going to have to get into their space however you can get into your space. And guess what? That is not what journalism teaches in our schools. Right. We are we we teach being polite. We don't teach journalism. Exactly. We, so we have today in America, we have too many repeaters, not reporters. They go to press conferences. In fact, one uh, major so-called progressive outlet told me, oh, it's great. One is extraordinary report, but the host didn't want it because they said, well, it's just too gonzo. It's too, why couldn't you get this in a press conference? Believe it or not, people who steal votes by the tens of thousands don't hold press conferences. That is a they don't announce it. statement. That's a six day break. Greg, I got to go. Tell me okay. what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Okay. Well, the only thing I would say is what's next. So we have to expose this thing now. Go to gregpalace.com. Watch the continuing reports because what you saw that, that woman challenging 32,000 people, even in that county, the chairman of the Republican party added another 16,000 names. This could flip. The question is how will this affect the elections? Big time. Reverend Senator Warnock is running for reelection next year. If 300,000 voters of color and young people are flushed out. He's doomed. Stacey Abrams may run for governor of Georgia next year. That's expected. Uh, she lost by only 50,000 stolen votes. We've reported that. And um, I got to tell you that, you know, if you take out 300,000 voters, you know, I, it's not that I should, I'm for Warnocker or Abrams. My point is why don't you let the people make the decision? The voters choose. Not the tricks, not the Jim Crow games. Greg Palast, please visit gregpalast.com. G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T.com. That is true investigative journalism. Some folks don't really like to do things in certain ways. Look, I when I saw that video, my brother, I had to contact you and say, we got to get this to hell out for people to see because this is what's killing our democracy. It's been my pleasure to have you once again on Politics Done Right. Thank you, Egberto. This is an extraordinary platform, and I appreciate the work you've been doing. The theory is that defund the police somehow is going to increase crime and all that sort of thing. And they, the people who support the defund the police moniker has been really getting hit. Look at the crime that's happening. And now you're talking about defund the police. Well, you know what? Uh, listen to what uh, Brittany has to say. She has an interesting take, a more a, a more prescient state. And I think when you listen to her, you'll realize that we have a lot of work to do as far as messaging is concerned. But the reality is there's much more to do. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. 
Brittany, tomorrow is primary day for New York's mayoral race. Crime is the number one issue among Democrats. Those are the people voting. What does that say about the defund the police movement? Do people know what it means? Do they know what it is? Do they know what they want? So, Stephanie, I think it's important to begin with the simple fact that all of us, and I do mean all of us, want safer communities. Everyone wants and deserves Mm -hmm. to be able to walk out of their home, walk freely on the street, play with their child, and ensure that everyone is safe while doing so. But what we also know to be true is that defunding the police is not just about taking money out of an institution that continues to prove ineffective. It's also about refunding the people. It's about ensuring that the services that people need to ensure safe communities from the ground up are actually being funded and resourced to their full capacity. I think that there are a lot of police unions and GOP operatives that would like for us to believe that this recent crime wave has everything to do with this idea of defunding the police. But guess what, Stephanie? The police haven't been funded. You actually look at the 50 largest cities law enforcement spending as a share of the general expenditure in each of those cities actually rose slightly from 13.6% to 13.7%. And many of the cities that have talked about removing that money, like Minneapolis and Seattle, they've actually paused or slowed how they were thinking about moving that money. So this rising crime is not the fault of the movement. It's actually the fault of the police. And this has been our point all along. Why should we keep funding systems and institutions that keep rendering themselves ineffective? We should be talking about gun control, livable wages, fair housing, education. That's where we should be moving the money to, to ensure truly safe streets. And that is the point. Again, solving the real problems instead of using a hammer to knock out the problems that's created by your, by spending too much on, in, in effective what she's saying, in effect, this is what she's saying. We have funded the police. We have given the police a lot of money that could have been gone, that could have gone otherwise to empower people. And that empowerment of people would have created less crimes. But instead, what we get is all that funding going to police officers, all that funding going to police departments to buy a whole lot of crap to, to, to really hurt people. And you get more crime because the people's, the people are less satisfied with, or not less satisfied, but they get less resources to improve their lives. And of course, it's a snowball effect. And we, guess what? We are seeing the snowball with the increase in crime. It's a shame. She's right. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, Neil Aquino. Neil Aquino is a one of what I call a premier activist here in Houston, Texas. Actually, he covers not only Texas, but the entire country, including visiting Cincinnati and doing a few things every so often. Anyhow, Neil, welcome to Politics and Right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on, Egberto. Absolutely. So, Neil, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is on July 8th, the Texas legislature goes back into action. We had some Democrats that did the right thing. They walked out during the uh, attempt of our legislature to really create some suppressive voter suppressive laws. Uh, First of all, what are your thoughts as far as what has occurred thus far? Then we'll go into what we need to do going forward. Well, at at core, we've got We've got a majority in the Texas legislature that doesn't want to live in a multiracial democracy. Um, I think we should just cut through it. And um, they are willing to do whatever they need to do 
to to make sure that we don't live in a successful multiracial democracy. And um, I I know the argument is always demographics will come and switch. I've been hearing that for the you know the part of oh, the, the state over to Democratic. I've been hearing that for the 22 years I've lived here. So I don't I don't take it as an automatic, but they're obviously afraid of of something and they're they're fueled by this lie that the election was stolen for Trump and they're authoritarian, they're autocratic, they're bigoted and they're not afraid to 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 tell you at this point. What one of the things I love about what you do um you over for over a year now you have been uh, protesting in front of I think Cornyn's uh, Senator Cornyn's office for the for how many how many months now? Uh 4 years, two um Next week, next Tuesday, 1130 to 1, 5300 Memorial Drive will be week 229. Oh, over four years. Over four years. Yeah, that that is what this and, and it has always been peaceful and you've always gotten the crowd. That is what's so amazing. Tell me a little bit about, more about that. Well, I'm 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 maybe it's it's a leaderless group. Um, basically, it's a very autonomous group. Uh, we're not affiliated with any party, with any um candidate. Uh, there's no no money that comes into it. So it's a group of people. Um, we generally have 15 to 20 a week. We'd love to have more, but we're pretty proud of getting 15 to 20 a week through uh, through the floods, the heat, cold, you name it. Um, and we're at Senator Cornyn's office on Memorial Drive with our own signs, our own flags. Initially, it started, you know, like a lot of those move on protests on Tuesdays after Trump won. In fact, there's still one going on in um North Carolina, I believe, at Senator Tillis's office. And it has become still about Senator Cornyn, but it has become very much um, a thing about civil liberties, the right to assemble, making clear to our friends, to our foes, to police that we will we will show up on our own um, no matter what. And I, I think I think it's very important to show up. We are very focused on showing up because what uh, elections matter. There is a moral difference between the two parties. But on the other hand, the system will accept the outcomes the system produces. Police will defend those outcomes. And we need to whatever we've been doing. Th- thank you to everyone who's doing the work. Um, but here we are on the precipice of a point where we can't even guarantee free elections anymore. Right. Even even that conventional deal. OK. We'll accept the political system. It'll rip us off. But at least there can be some progress and we can have a free election. But now that's not even guaranteed. And on top of that, the weather is crazy. So I think uh, I think folks ought to show up for themselves uh, along with voting. And that's our point. Excellent. Well, um, as it turns out, I just had uh, Greg Palast on a few minutes ago and he was discussing. uh, He actually got on camera how voter suppression is actually being affected by uh, Republican operatives and how uh, they're, they're doing it. And it is something that is going to be coming down here as Texas's legislature meets on July 8th. What do you expect out of that? Oh, boy, a whole, a whole lot of cruelty. Um, there'll be the voter suppression. And let's be sure when we're talking about voter suppression, we're talking about voter suppression. But we're also talking about state legislatures with the intent of overturning elections. 
I mean, that's what Trump would I think have you done. Need to explain that because a lot of people don't understand. It's not about stopping people from voting. Also, they, they've actually they're considering instituting a law that gives them the option to overturn an election. If just somebody says, oh, there is some fraud here, proven or not. Talking about not just voter suppression, but the ability to overturn elections. So we're seeing the ridiculous audit in Arizona, uh, the the secretary of state of Georgia who did the right thing um, after 2020, but he's talking about taking over the Fulton County, which is Atlanta um, um, election board. Um, we're seeing uh, state legislators in, in some of these voter suppression laws, it's easier to overturn elections in addition to the suppression. In the Texas bill, that legislation was in there um, that was part of it. Judges can overturn elections with lower standards of evidence than before. They're saying, oh, oh we don't know how that got in there. But it's, you know, these things are cookie cutter written, sent to Republican legislatures. And we should remember that these these state legislatures have tremendous power. Um, so you see they're negating all of our city laws um, across the in Galveston. They can't even have a plastic bag ban choking the turtles. Um, I mean, it's incredible. And so they, these they, they only want they only want local rule when it helps the oligarchy, the plutocracy, the oil companies. I mean, Denton, Texas, I think, I think was the name of the, 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 the town. Uh, it's a Republican town that they decided they didn't want drilling X amount of distances from homes because of the pollution that it causes. And immediately Greg Abbott decided that law can't be. So they overturned local law and superseded it with state law. So, you know, we know that it's even, even, even those uh, mom and pop Republicans that think they're Republicans, they need to understand that their party is not really for them. Their party represents solely the oligarchy and they are just the, the, uh, the cogs in the wheel to get the job done. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I want to I wanna keep hope alive, like, like uh, Jesse Jackson always said um, and still says. Um, a lot of these Republicans, I, I want to believe there's rank and file out there who, who can see the light. We'll keep hope alive for that. Um, the, you know, these state legislatures have tremendous power, and it seems to me that the base of the party is in many respects respects what's moving them to the right. I think there's millions of folks who never knew they could be so freely bigoted and cruel and that it would hold currency in public policy. Um, and I, I think you're seeing a move towards towards not just voter suppression, but but overturning elections. And what's interesting, for example, when Beto O'Rourke was here, so I, I think that there has to be, you know, elected officials and establishment figures and then non-establishment and rank and file. Um, so Better Work was here for a Sunday rally in a park a couple of weeks ago, and he spent five minutes talking about the rise of Hitler. So here's Better Work, this establishment figure. He's talking about the rise of Hitler. My sta state rep, Ann Johnson, who's a who's a good person, um, always from the moderate ring, wing of the party. I'm happy to support her. Um, she's using words like democracy itself. John Rosenthal, another moderate state rep, saying as soon as they overturn an election, that's that's our constitutional form of government. So our elected officials, they're saying it. And we're, and I think people are hearing it. And, and so the question is, 
But sometimes our elected officials want to contain our response. So please, you know, to me, if the issue is democracy, and it is, then shouldn't 50,000 people be at the Capitol every day of the special session? If, if Mayor Turner, a moderate political figure, the mayor of Houston, says Jim Crow 2.0, I, I agree. If it's Jim Crow 2.0, the response to Jim Crow is massive marches. It's civil disobedience. Um, the term good trouble was a term of which you, which has been adapted, adopted by our Democratic establishment from the hero uh, Representative John Lewis. Lewis. Um, Representative Wright, the civil rights figure, that was civil disobedience. Um, and so at the moment, there's a bit of a disconnect and it's probably... You know, these things require high commitment and you don't want to sit home with your family and think, boy, I'm just in a struggle for the rest of my life for democracy and, and Jim Crow. Now, there's large segments of the population would say, welcome to my world. Um, but here we are. And I think I think the Democratic rank and file. Um, and, and it's important from from the most centrist aspects to the of the party all the way to the socialist left and beyond, there seems to be a general agreement that democracy is at risk. Hillary says it. Bernie says it. Obama, Mrs. Obama, Biden, Warnock, AOC, they're all saying it. So isn't the extrapolation if democracy is at risk that A, what we've been doing didn't work in not getting us here, and B, we ought to be trying something else, and C, that may well involve disruption in our own lives or changes to our own routine and an acceptance of a level of, of conflict. I don't use that word to say violence, although the other side is doing violence. Um, th- th- I think we need to think it out. And that, that process of thinking it out is, is, a, is a difficult one. That's why I wanted a rank and file activist on the show today discussing this particular issue, because I think you make it, I, I think what you're, what, in effect, what you're saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is the Democratic Party is saying that democracy is at risk, but you, you are not seeing the urgency from those on top to mobilize, to rise up to what this actually means. As we did, let's say, during the civil rights era and other eras where we did mobilize people in mass. Hell, we even mobilized people in mass with the uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, and and the um George Floyd issue. We actually got right. folks out there in the streets and we got results. We had corporations acquiescing to BLM. Who would have thought? Right. So in, 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 I don't like, so in fairness to the elected, because there's no, um, we need to get past a Sanders Clinton kind of establishment, anti-establishment, um, especially when Sanders and Clinton agree on this point. Right. Uh, and, and we don't need to be fighting amongst ourselves. So um, taking the words of the democratic establishment itself, democracy's at peril. And what then is the next step? And I don't know how you can, um, w- without being personally critical to anyone, if you spent your life advocating for this system and this system can't maintain free elections and it messed up the weather, our political and economic systems, that would seem to me to be a cause for reevaluation. Um, and I'm not going to tell you I have that answer, but 
I, I would say one one aspect of that answer is that we as rank and file folks from the from the Clinton centrist to the socialist. Um, it seems to me that the the, Re- the Republican Party is not making distinctions. And so we elected um, we've been told over our political lives, vote for Bill Clinton. He can win. And he did vote for Joe Biden. He can win. And he did. The, the Democratic Party hasn't nominated an ideological outlier for president since George McGovern. The party establishment wins 98 percent of party primaries. OK, that, that's that's not a complaint, but we've done this. And still the Republican Party thinks we're all whatever it all is, terrible things. They're making up crazy stories. And the, the FBI is saying right wing terrorism is, is the highest domestic threat. And we don't even seem to be able to guarantee a free election. So it isn't working. In other words, you're saying we do need a paradigm shift. I'm running out of time right now. Neil, why don't my last question is always the same. Tell me something that you want to say that I didn't ask about. Well, I I think you covered the I I think we need to engage in a ongoing philosophical philosophy has to be matched towards action. Um. But we need to be engaged in a in a kind of philosophical discussion is what is our next act matched with action that meets the pressures of the democracy crisis and the connected climate crisis. And I would say that we have to understand that there's no bottom line for the other folks and that the other side and that believing that doesn't make us radical. What's so interesting is that we're reduced to the point, I'm 53 years old, and here I am reduced to the point almost of, hey, man, just let me have a damn free election, let alone all the other, let there not be another crazy-ass hurricane. You know, let's address that. So we've been reduced to these most elemental pleas almost for survival, and I think we should we should really be evaluating, and we need to be tougher on our own elected officials. They're sitting on a lot of campaign cash. A lot of organizational capacity. And we when they come to the Democratic Club, the organization, we interview them, we meet them as voters at the church, at the school. We need to say directly, what are you doing for democracy? Will you show up? If I march on the street, will a ton of cops come at me like we saw in many Democratic cities with the Floyd marches? You, The, the federal government says, my last sentence, the federal government says we can't fix it, even though Democrats run everything. The Democratic uh, state legislatures now tell us, hey, these Republicans are really a threat to democracy. That's what the Texas Democrat elected uh, legislatures are telling us. Then at the municipal level, we go out and protest and there's a ton of cops. It it, it just all isn't working. And I think that, that, that our freedom has to come from us. The work of our freedom is up to each of us. And the moment seems forced upon us. Uh, Greg... <laughs> Neil Aquino, it has been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Houston, Texas, national political activist and somebody getting something done. Thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. Day the course, Egberto. Thank you for having me. We have a special guest. 
Uh, we have Jason Miller, who is a faith-based advocate and organizer originally from Toledo, Ohio, and serves as the co-chair of the Faithful Democracy WIC Working Group. After earning his BA in History and Religious Studies, Jason entered a year of service with the Jesuit follow, uh, Volunteer Corps in Nashville, Tennessee, working at Catholic Charities Refugee Services. He then relocated to Washington, D.C., area to complete a master's degree in conflict analysis, good stuff, and resolution in George Mason University. Jason has since devoted himself to faith-based communications and advocacy work on behalf of economic justice and climate justice issues and currently works as the Director of Campaigns and Development at the Franciscan Action Network. Jason, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm great. That was, you gave the full bio there. I, I need to take you, that was Next time on an elevator, can I take you with me? Or, yes, you uh, can. Perfect. But you know what? Let, let me tell you what I love. Yeah. Especially in these times, people that are just doing good work because that is what we need. And you just have to tell me social justice, economic justice, racial justice, and you got me because yeah. we need so much of that right now. Anyhow, um, tell me a little bit about yourself that I didn't say before we get into some of the meat of what I want to discuss with you. Sure. Well, you know, sometimes those words, social justice, racial justice, I'm glad you love them. Unfortunately, not not everybody does. So right. uh, I'm sure your audience... I love your little dog. I mean, yeah, that, you know, that we're, brings uh, a reality we're dog to it. So, it. so it makes it real, right? As yes. I was trying to take a real, real important point there. Um, I, and I don't even know what it was. But uh, I'm glad that you're into sh- social and racial justice because, you know, sometimes those are, are words that are such a loaded terms these days, which is really unfortunate because, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good work. But, you know, I learned in JVC that in Jesuit Volunteer Corps that, you know, everybody's doing work and everybody's just trying to, to do what they can. And, uh, you know, that's really what it's all about. And I've been fortunate and blessed to, to come to DC and, and work in faith-based advocacy, but that, you know, doesn't make me any better or worse than, than anybody else, but I'm, I'm thankful that, that I'm doing it and I'm glad to, glad to be here. Let me tell you, I am, I'm a very political, this is a very political show, progressive sure. And, uh, personally I am a humanist, so I don't do the religious thing. Uh, generally. But one of the reasons I really liked what you do, what many of the others in your domain uh, do, is that um, what we found over the last several decades, actually, is uh, religion has been used to corrupt a whole a sect of the religious uh, or religious body has been mm-hmm. used to corrupt our entire body politic. And in so doing, they have made doing, I mean, they have gone to the point when, where they have made doing good by we, the people, a bad thing. They've adapted yep. a sort of a economic balance that is completely off whack. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I would agree. You know, there are issues that uh, used to not be partisan right and i think a lot of people don't understand that there's political and there's partisan right and uh things that yes might be political aren't necessarily partisan when i worked in refugee resettlement in nashville with Jesuit volunteer corps you know i worked with former refugees and i worked with um you know a number of conservatives it wasn't refugee resettlement wasn't a partisan issue and it hurts 
it pains me that that now it's such a loaded political partisan issue um, and voting rights. It's with our work with Faithful Democracy today. You know, you have 360 plus uh, bills in state legislatures in 47 states that are they're trying to suppress the vote. And when did access to the vote become partisan? It shouldn't be. Certainly it's political, but it, it shouldn't be partisan. And there's a misunderstanding of that. And there's these, this twisting of this idea by, by folks and, and I will say on, on the right and, or neoliberal, even if you will. Yes, that, you are correct. Yes. You know, there's, there's this idea that, well, you know, if you're a Christian or you're a person of faith, you, you act a certain way and you believe certain things. Well, shouldn't you as a, a person of faith or as a Christian believe in, in access to the vote? It isn't human dignity a, a big part of, of being who, who a follower of Jesus is? I certainly think so. And that's something that we ground our work in with, with faithful democracy is that if all human beings have dignity and worth, then you know they should have access to the vote. They shouldn't have their voices drowned out by big money in politics. But unfortunately, there's this misunderstanding of Oh, you know, Christian means to be, you know, you want smaller government or, you know, that you're you're against certain things or for other things. But, uh, you know, that to me, that's not really what it means to, to be a, a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian first. I'm a, I'm a Catholic first before any political label. And and to me, that means, you know, that all human beings have dignity and worth and. You know, all of us on the, the Christian left, all these people also say, oh, where the Christian left, it's coming out of nowhere. Well, we've we've been here all along. We just maybe didn't have the megaphone that the other folks had. You know, I got a rant from one of our listeners that I am going to post sometime soon. Uh, and he spoke about progressives in general. He was talking about Democrats, but I think it covers progressives as well, have just about uh, seated the rural vote seated mm. places like West Virginia, Appalachia, which uh, really you should have a huge audience based on the needs and what's going on in those areas. Um, how is faithful democracy uh, or even the Franciscan network uh, mm -hmm. thinking about addressing that and not necessarily concentrating in the big areas of uh, population, uh, you know, population expense? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. I think oftentimes, you know, on the uh, the East Coast here, there is sort of that divide of that D.C. sort of, yeah, they want to write off West Virginia. They want to write off Toledo. Um, they want to write off Kansas. I have a good uh, friend of mine, a former colleague who is from Wichita, and he's saying, don't forget about us. You know, if, if we organize around issues, um, if we, uh, you know, if we truly do the, the work, um, we can we can win folks over. I mean, I always point to uh, my fiance is from St. Louis. If you look at Missouri, right, they always vote um, a, for a candidate with a certain letter after their name. Mm -hmm. But they also vote for things like health care and for supporting unions. And if you vote, if there are issue areas, if there's, you know, ballot initiatives around issues, they always vote for the, the more progressive issue, but they're voting for the more conservative candidate. So clearly there's a disconnect there and it's about messaging. And it's not forgetting about and leaving behind those folks in St. Louis and Wichita and 
in Toledo in West Virginia. You know, I think that is so important. And I think I, I think that is a lesson not learned by either the Democratic Party and many of the progressive groups that are stationed in many of our cities as far as not crying, trying to create a base in these areas. Because when we do polling on issues, and I, you're absolutely correct, specifically when we do polling on issues like Medicare for All or the contents of the Green New Deal and many mm-hmm. other aspects of what we would normally call the progressive agenda, what you find is that they're not just majorities, but in most of these issues, there are super majority support from the rank and file of not exactly. party, but of people. And exactly. It, 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 it needs, I think, uh, from all aspects, and I think that is where somebody like yourself is so important because you represent a demographic that can go into a West Virginia with a different uh, thought process, a different methodology to actually, uh, you know, build a base. And I wish more would do it. I understand that, you know, I, I'm looking at your faithful democracy and see that. I mean, you're all over the place with the support that you've got. I mean, you, from, mm-hmm. from from Jewish to Mormon to Christian to uh, to to uh, Islamic. Yeah, we're truly interfaith. This, and yep. I'm like, this is what this is a type of faithful democracy I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And it's you're right, not just on on things like the Green New Deal and and Medicare for all, but if you look specifically at at polling in West Virginia. Uh, people overwhelmingly support getting big money out of politics. They support increasing voter access. They support the For the People Act. So why aren't, you know, and Senator Manchin, he co-sponsored in the last Congress, but why aren't Senator Manchin and Senator Cap- Capito, why aren't they supporting the For the People Act? That's a good question because, you know, I know that they are about listening to their constituents and listening to people in the Mountaineer State. Well, you know, look at the polling. So it's it is it's in in some ways it's about messaging, right? I'm sure you know that, and it's yes. it's that megaphone of money on on the other side, if you will. But it's it's also you know how those messages are are used and and how they're often used against um, issues uh, that that people actually do support. Well, let me tell you, Jason, we're we are surely going to do our part to get your message out and those who you represent to get that message out. And we hope that uh, you'll be on many other platforms so we can get this kind of message out because it's important that we do. Now, I always ask this question at the end, and that is, uh, please tell me what you want to tell our audience that I simply didn't ask you about. Oh, there's there's so much. I already gave the plug, right, for the Franciscan Action Network website, franciscanaction.org, and Faithful Democracy, um, faithfuldemocracy.us. I already said, please call your senators. Um, and, and we have resources on our website. To, if you're like, I've, I've never done that. How do I do that? You know, pick up the phone after 5 p.m. and, and call that switchboard or, or Google your senators' numbers. Tell them that, that you care about these issues, right? The that you care about the For the People Act, that you care about the the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that you care about D.C. statehood. I don't want to forget that issue as well, is that it often gets lost in the shuffle. You have a city that's 45 percent African-American and over 700,000 people. That's more than Vermont. That's more than Wyoming. and, And they are disenfranchised. And it, you know, it's again, that shouldn't be a partisan political issue. That shouldn't be a partisan, oh, well, you know, they're all going to vote a certain way. Well, 
but shouldn't they just be allowed to to vote and have representation? We're we're taxed here in D.C. Um, so so why don't we have a, an equal voice and an equal say? And let me just say too that for all those folks on the left, for for Dems, Puerto Rican statehood is a completely separate thing, and that's a whole other podcast. Um, but certainly for D.C., you know, don't don't forget about us. Um, and, you know, again, if we advocate for that with faithful democracy and we advocate with for so many issues in the spirits of, of Francis and Claire with Franciscan Action Network, immigration reform, climate change, gun violence prevention. We just had another mass shooting in, in San Jose yesterday. You know, it's what is it? I guess we're, it's, it's just a, a sad reality that we have to live with now. You know, the, the pandemic is ending. People are going to be outside more. Does that mean we're going to have more mass shootings? I mean, it it just shouldn't be that way. And we're so gridlocked on here on Capitol Hill in D.C. And that's why we need people to pick up their phones and call their senators, especially people of faith, and say, hey, I want these, these bills passed. I want comprehensive immigration reform. I want comprehensive gun violence prevention legislation. I want the For the People Act. I want the Green New Deal. I think that is so important. I, 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 just before we leave here, the gun issue, again, it, it's, it's bewildering because most Americans want some sort of good, effective gun control. Uh, no other country suffers multiple mass shootings several times a month. Mm-hmm. If people can't understand that if there's a preponderance of guns out there, that people will use it. Uh, you know, yesterday I wrote a, a quick little post where I said, um, it, because here in Texas, we're now allowing everybody, anybody to just go out and buy a gun if you're over 18 or over 21. Right. I don't but remember but then you're also passing voting restrictions at the same it, time. Exactly. And, and what that means is, you know, I mean, if everybody has a gun and somebody's on the freeway, a good person can have a bad moment. Yeah. And a good person with a bad moment with a gun can turn that person into a murderer. Yeah, a deadly moment. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't believe in that that whole good person with a gun thing. I mean, both of my parents are the retired public school teachers. And, you know, my dad decades ago, um, I, I I think I can say this in public, he was was an NRA member, you know, before it got super political. He he grew up in the country, grew up hunting and shooting guns. And, and that's, you know, decades ago, the NRA wasn't political. Um, and, you know, I asked him one time, once that started to come up, you know, would you have have a gun in the classroom knowing that he would be comfortable with guns and that he's and he said, no, he said, I would never he couldn't ever bring himself. You know, if I would trust anyone with a gun, it would be him. But he said he would never be able, even if there was a mass shooter at his school, to bring himself to actually shoot another student. He just couldn't bring himself to do that. And that was the narrative for a long time, right? Oh, just arm people, just get more guns out there. But we know that that more guns, if you have a gun in a home, you know, there, there's a higher incident rate of 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 death and, and accidents. You know, so so more guns are not not the answer. We know that. And if we look again, public opinion polling, NRA members today, they you know, they want comprehensive gun violence prevention legislation. It is amazing. We have to start making the politician look like what the people are wanting and acting that way. Look, Jason. Yeah, and it's 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 the money in politics. It's the money that absolutely. the NRA has. They're they're, you know, writing checks to our senators. It's it's that's why we need to overturn Citizens United. We need a constitutional amendment to overturn it. And uh, 
make the playing field equal and even again and make sure that our, our members of Congress actually listen to the people, not the big money. It's been my pleasure to have uh, El Senor Jason Miller, Director of Campaigns and Development, Franciscan Action Network. And he also works with the Fateful Democracy. Look, thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you thank for you. what you're so trying much. to accomplish. It is so important. It's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure to be on. And, and thank you for having me on and and continuing to use your voice and to speak up. That's what we all need to do. Thank you. Again, please remember to keep your community radio station, KPFT, in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen at kpft.org. Keep us on air by donating what you can afford at our website, kpft.org. Remember to select Politics Done Right as the one who got you there. Once again, remember, you can get politicsunright.com. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics and right or on YouTube live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at Egberto Willis at E G B E R T O W I L L I E S. My name is Egberto Willis. This is politics and right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what out. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage.